you heard it prayed about, um, but obviously um, not everybody's few of big things I've imagined this weekend and reconnected. And we pray for Ravencrest, but just want you guys to know, you know, what happened because this is a Bible college right up the road from us. And we have some of the students that are uh, worship with us and we care for them. Uh, and uh, one of their students uh, was being a typical young man and decided he wanted to uh, climb the one of the new power lines that, w- that was installed up here and uh, unfortunately was electrocuted and, and passed away on Friday. And uh, with that, obviously, um, it was a horrible tragedy. For a lot of these young students, it's the first major loss that they've had in their life and it was a, um, it's, it's a pretty big deal uh, and there's a lot of hurt and wounds there. And so uh, we're going to be looking at ways that w- as a church that we can be supporting Ravencrest, but also their staff. I mean, that would be a, a large thing. The family uh, of the young man who passed away as well. And, uh, and so just in the next couple of weeks, to be thinking about praying for them. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why we talk about as a church. It's important that we have each other, especially in times like this. Something else, though, that I think we gain from that whenever a tragedy like this, a young person full of life, especially a believer, right, uh, is taken uh, so young, is reminds us that this life is a gift. It is not something that is, uh, is something we should take for granted. Every day, every breath, is, it's a gift. And that God has given us a very brief period of time on this earth. And so we had better use it for value, because we don't know uh, the day that, that we're going to be called home. The Lord does, but we don't. And I think with that, it really brings like the anchor verse that we've had in this series. Really, it hits home, maybe with a depth or, or an impact that it should have always, but I think now maybe we're able to receive in a new way, but to be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And this is what we, I've been talking about this entire series, uh, that uh, so many in this world run into escapism. They see the brokenness, the tragedies, the difficulties, the hardships, the injustices of this life. And I believe it is a temptation of the devil, <laughs> but also of the flesh, that we want to just escape from it, right? We want to forget about it. We want to just live our lives not as wise, making the most of every opportunity, but we miss out on so many opportunities because we don't want to experience the difficulties of this life. But that's only the beginning of the gospel. And the gospel begins with the hard news, right? That this world is broken, that we are broken, that we can't save ourselves, that we have sin and we can't earn God's salvation, right? We, we have this world that we are really at fault in a very large way for a lot of the awful things that happen, and we created a system that helps all the rest of the awful things happen. But I'm glad that that's not the end of the good news because it's kind of lousy news. This is the rest of the good news that gives us hope in the midst of tragedy is this, that God didn't abandon us in that, and that he came. In fact, he died on a cross to pay the penalty for all of the bad things we had done that created this awful system. He became one of us, experienced it. He, he knows exactly what it's like, but then he conquered sin and death. And he rose again, proving he's God, but also giving us that amazing promise. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And when he ascended to the, to the Heavenly Father, he gave us the God the Holy Spirit 
to come and dwell us and to be with us, not just to save us for the next life, but to save us also now. We have a, a purpose, an enormous one. And we have no idea what the brokenness of this world is going to do, how many other lives it's going to take, and how many tragedies that we're going to have to experience. But I do know this, that no matter how many of those happen, that our God has conquered, and he gives hope, and he gives purpose in the midst of this. Even that young man whose life was taken young, he's a believer. And he stepped from this broken world into <laughs> the unbroken one like that. That God gets the victory. He has a hope. And he, he, he has the promise that gives us the opportunity to not just experience difficulties, but then see the triumph on the other side, which is a call to us as Christians to not escape. We need to lean into this world. But in order to do that, I think that we, we need to make sure that we, we have all the support that God's given us, because I don't know about you, but this world is more than I can handle. It's not more than God can handle, it's just more than I can handle. I think as Christians, this whole series, we've really been talking about things that we've escaped in as culture, right? Talk about we get onto our iPhones and watch videos and do the social media and just kind of escape life, right? We can do that. But there's also the whole historical ways that we've escaped, right? And TV and movies and media. There's also uh, alcohol and drugs and, and all kinds of other things, right? <laughs> that we can just kind of tune life out. But today I want to finish this series on how do we escape that escapism, right? Not just by finding our purpose and giving our time to God and, and then living for the purposes and family and at work and with our friends and all the different ways that God has given us. But, but there is an escapism that is unique to the body of Christ. And it's something that is, is massive. And it's the, the idea that we're escaping from church itself. That Christians are coming to church less and less and less. In fact, it's really common here in Estes Park. You'll find believers even in the park hiking, and they'll say, this is my church. It's up here. And that is such a lie, and it's so damaging for them, and it's damaging for the body of Christ, and it's damaging for the world itself, that, that the enemy has sold them a lie, which is robbing them and all of us. That escape isn't the idea to think that I can be spiritual, but I don't need God's people is, is a form of escapism that is probably the most toxic and the most damaging because it's keeping us as a people from being able to fulfill our purposes, which we talked about last week, even in our community. How can we be salt and light <laughs> if we're not even coming together? I think we, we look at the, even in America, this last couple years, we've gone from in the 2000s, just not very long ago, never Y2K, year 2000, 70% of Americans were part of a church. 70%. 7 out of 10 people, that's what they rent a church regularly, at least a couple times a month. 7 out of 10. But in 2020, that number dropped below 50% for the first time in our country's history. Now it's 47%. Right? A and Colorado, this year, it's even lower, 43%. And really, that's not all those people are Christian either. They just go into any, any church or any synagogue, or any other place, 43%. We live in a culture that has escaped from church, escaped from religion. People are like, I hate organized religion. I said, you should try disorganized religion. That's worse, right? But that we recognize that Christians, um, only 30% of Christians in, in our culture meet and attend the church regularly. 
three out of ten Christians, not Americans, three out of ten, that means seven out of ten Christians aren't even coming and, and congregating, being part of a church. And we wonder why the church isn't effective at reaching our culture. And we wonder why we're not able to, well, why do we want to escape church so bad? Well, the reasons that are often given is that the church that I was at was toxic. It wasn't a healthy place. Or the church that I was at, I wasn't growing in, I wasn't being fed in, I wasn't getting my, you know, those things, and I wasn't growing. And the or the church that I was going to, it was, people were hostile and they didn't like each other. It wasn't a loving place. And that tells me that the churches that they had been going to really weren't fulfilling the purpose that God had given the church at all. <laughs> In fact, uh, we find that the church itself actually is a gathering and an assembly. And, and really by its very name, that's what it means. So, uh, so think about it. Like last night I made dinner because I like to eat. <laughs> Clearly. I'm well fed. And if I'm going to make a recipe, if I'm going to make something, the first thing I do is I gather my ingredients. You ever seen a cooking show? That's like me. I put all my stuff, I get them in the little, the little cups and saucers and everything, so everything's all measured out, so when I begin to cook, right, it's kind of fun. You're like, I'll put a little of this in here, a little, it's great. <laughs> but I can't do that if the stuff isn't gathered. Right? If my onions are still in the refrigerator and they haven't been minced perfectly, I can't add to the onions. Right? I've got to gather my ingredients first so I can make what I want to make. And yet the church is a gathering. There were to be the body of Christ that we, are to, we have this thing, but God calls us to gather. In fact, there is a word that was used for that in the Old Testament. They call it synagogue. That's the heart of the synagogue was the gathering, that the community would gather together. It was, when we went to Israel, it was amazing to see that the synagogues were really community centers. It was a place for the community to come together. That's what it is. And if we don't gather, we're missing out on something huge. But the whole body is missing on something huge. We have to get together. But the church isn't just a gathering. I thought this was really profound when I was doing my study over this. You know that, that uh, was synagogue, and, and that's really where the church began because Jesus was Jewish, right? And he died, rose again, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, right? And the gospel was presented uh, throughout all of the, the, uh, the area of which is now uh, the Mediterranean, right? And how did Paul, and they, where did they go? They went first to the synagogues, right? They went first to the Jews, and then they got some Gentiles who came in as well. But at first they had synagogue, right? They had their gathering, and they met on Saturdays, or on, the, on the Sabbath, right? They would meet on that. And then the church began to gather, and the church was called by a different name in the New Testament. It's interesting to me that it was never a replacement. Didn't like it didn't exchange, it's like we were grafted in, but didn't replace the synagogue. It's an amazing thing that instead of meeting on Saturday as to replace the church, which is called Ecclesia, met on Sunday. We get a, a bonus day off. That's one of the first great things that the church brought to the world. And so for the Jewish believers, they'd be able to go and gather. They could continue to have community and then also have community on Sunday as we worship Jesus on the day that he rose from the dead, the very first day of the week. How an amazing, beautiful thing. 
And so there was synagogue, but then there was ecclesia. And you know, ecclesia, the, the, if you look at it, um, language is kind of like has a, there's no one-to-one translation for any word, right? There's like language has like these spheres of meaning, but there's kind of like a main part. The synagogue, the, the main part that it talks about is, is the gathering. That's the heart of that word. But ecclesia, the main part is assembly. And assembly is a little bit different. Now, we use them interchangeably in our language, so you can see in your Bibles are oftentimes used interchangeably, right? Gathering, assembly, or whatever. If you go to the, remember in high school, you'd have assemblies, which were just gatherings, where you would congregate. So we have congregation, right? But an ecclesia is, a, is an assembly. It's like this. If I'm going to make dinner, I don't just gather my ingredients and just set them on the table. Because what kind of good meal would that be? Like, here's some dried pasta. Here's some meat that I'm going to make meatballs with, right? Here's some tomatoes that I'm going to make sauce, right? If I just had all of my ingredients, but I didn't put them together, if they weren't assembled artfully, it would be a train wreck of a meal. If I just gathered all the ingredients into one big pot, and that's what I served all the time. Can you imagine a hamburger that would be served like that? You have little bits of bun in there and little bits of lettuce. It would just be a mess. See, we don't just gather as the church. We assemble, which is a remarkable difference. You see in Scripture how how in, in the Old Covenant that God gathered his people. And the newcomer, now he assembles us. He puts us together for a mission, which is unique and new and wonderful and beautiful, to bring the gospel to all people, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them how to obey all of his commands. This was not before. The, this, the gathering didn't have that, so they didn't need to be assembled, but we must be assembled. How can you assemble if you haven't even gathered? So the church is a gathering and an assembly. That God has brought us here to put us together to do something spectacular. You know, in the Bible, this idea of church, the word church, that was translated churches, is 104 times in the New Testament. And 98 of those times, it's not talking about the universal church, the church that is, you know, that we're all part of the, the saints from forever ago and those who live in Africa, we're all part of the same church, we're part of the same gathering and assembly, we're part of the body of Christ, that general universal church. Yeah, well, a very few times in the Bible doesn't even talk about that. It's a truth, but 90 out, out of 104 times, when it talks about church, it's talking about an actual local assembly of body of Christ. Why? Because yes, as a Christian, I exist in the universal body of Christ, which is why I can go into nature and I can still commune with God, yes. But scripture commands me very much that I need to be part of an assembly, part of a local body where I can do the work of Christ together with them. Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go there. Now this, in Ephesians 4, if you're good at counting, you're going to recognize that Ephesians 4 comes before Ephesians 5, which is where our anchor verse is, right? So before we can live wisely, before we can make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil, this precedes that, leads up to how we do this. 
And chapters 1 through 3 in, the, in Ephesians really talk about God's plan. His plan is to save the world, right? Pretty audacious plan, but God's pretty amazing. He can do it, right? But chapter 4, then, we get into the section of, of Ephesians where it talks about God's provision, how he's going to do that, which is the church. And 4 verse 11, he says this, So Christ himself, himself, that means Jesus, not like he gave it to his secretary to do this, or the archangel. Jesus himself, look what Jesus is doing, himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One of the most powerful passages that I think that we can gain it for answering the question to us, why church? you ever wondered, why do I do this? Why do I come to church? Because I'm, I'm with people that are different than me, right? I, I, I show up. It's my, one of my days off. Thank you, church, for allowing that culturally to be a thing to have a day off, but now I've got to go to church. Why do I do this? Why do I sit here and, and hang out with other people? Why do I have all this stuff where I'm going to talk to, and then I get responsibilities like I'm supposed to follow God more closely in this? Why do I do this to myself? Well, a lot of people don't. In fact, you know our take five commitments, that we, our strategy to reach our community? We're nailing, we're, we're doing awesome on four of those five. Like our church, I'm so proud of you. Like four of those five, you guys are just, are really, but you know one we're missing. And what is that? Is we're not coming to church more often than we used to. Right, I'm having Caleb, he's working at it, helping me get better attendance so I can track this because I care about us and I want to make sure that we grow, that we're actually doing what God has called us to do. And I'm finding a very disturbing trend is that we have folks that were used to be very going to church very often are a little less so. And those who were kind of coming a somewhat often are coming ra rarely. And those who came rarely are coming very occasionally. That we're going the wrong direction. Even though we're growing in numbers, if our people were actually attending more, we would already have filled out this room with the church membership that we already have. Why is that not happening? I think it's because we're not answering the question in our own spirit, why church? So we're not committed to it. But here's something that we need to commit to. Why? Well, recognize that God himself is involved in this. This is not something that he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pawn this off on anybody else. I want to make sure that, that I make sure that the church is cared for, that Christ himself gave us what we need for a really good purpose. In fact, he gives us four of those, and, and they're all summed up right here 
in chapter 16, I think we could see the, the culmination as he kind of draws them all together. And the first reason that he gives us is he gives us that this church is where we grow in maturity. Verse 12, look at there. It says that he, he, he gave the pastors and the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists all this. Why? To equip his people for works of good service, right? So we are as a church are supposed to be salt and light. That's how we're supposed to reach our community. How do you get salty? Where do you get that light to be able to shine? Church, that's where God gave you the provision for it. So if you're not assembling, right, if you're not gathering and assembling, you're, you're not allowing the pastors and the, and the teachers all to help put you into the right place, right, so that we're able to go do those good works. You're not being equipped by that, but also you're not growing. That the church is where we mature. In Scripture, it's very clear that if you can be born again, but if you're raised as, you know, by the feral wolves, you're not going to act like a civilized Christian. You have a church family, and this is where you're to grow up. Right? You weren't born and then thrown into the gutter or off into the woods. You were given a church family of brothers and sisters of faith. You have pastors and elders whose very job, by God, hand-selected by Him, to say... I. We exist to serve you so that you can be equipped, so that you can grow, so that you may be built up, that you may mature. And if you think that you can mature as a Christian outside of the fellowship of the church, you're going contradiction to the way that God designed things to operate. And maybe the devil will allow that to happen to one or two Christians. So we, in our idea of saying, well, what about this one person that matured outside of a church that proves it can be possible? The exception only proves the rule. We should be able to point at all of those, I don't know, seven out of ten Christians who are not attending a church. Is the culture growing? Is the light shining brighter? They are spoiling their faith in immaturity. And the world is darker, and the gospel is less, more prevalent. It is not helpful. You are to be mature. In, in, in verse uh, uh, 15, it also talks about the purpose of this, that we're going to be mature. In fact, the maturity that we're going to have is going to lead us to actually look like Jesus, the one whom we represent. That happens here where you have pastors and teachers and evangelists, where God has set up for your maturity. That's why it says in verse 14, if we do this, then you will no longer be infants. What are infants? Immature. That's why they're infants. And it's great when you were born again that you were an infant. And you know what infants do? They think about themselves all the time. They just consume and make messes, right? And they also annoy Right? Whenever they don't like something, like, ah, I don't know how to help me. Right? That's all they do. And you know what baby Christians do? They consume and make messes and sometimes annoy. But they're cute. And we love them. But it's not cute if you're 30 years old and you're just consuming and making messes and annoying people all the time. At some point, we got to grow up. At some point, that's the desire of God is that we are to grow healthy. We're not supposed to be infants forever. And well, physically, luckily, he gave us this biological thing that allows our bodies to grow up. But have you ever met somebody who is old but immature? It's, it's just sad. How many Christians are born again and then stay perpetual infants? Consume, consume, consume. This Bible study, this teaching, this spiritual thing. 
and then they just make messes everywhere. They never grow up, and they just annoy people. In fact, a lot of times that unbelievers don't want to come to the church because they look at that and they're like, have you ever walked into like a, a messy nursery where all the kids are just screaming and all that? And you thought, well, this is where I want to hang out. No, right? Well, if unbelievers are coming to the church and it's full of a bunch of babies, just a bunch of baby Christian that just did never grow up, are they going to want to be there? No. If you are in a healthy church, you're in a church that, that God is, he's provided for us, but a church that doesn't just gather, but a church that helps you assemble, that puts you to, to help you grow into the things that God has called you to do, you're going to grow up. You and us together will become mature. We're going to become effective. We're going to become something that, that is enjoyable to be around, something that's actually a threat to the devil. We'll no longer be infants. We're going to be tossed here and there by culture and by people and all that other stuff. We'll be well-grounded. So maturity is a good thing. It gives us stability. It gives us wisdom. It gives us strength. It gives us character. Maturity gives us ability to do great things which God prepared for us in advance. And the church is where we grow up. But it's not just where we grow up. You find that the, it's also where the church we grow in numbers. It's where we grow out. If you have a person that says, I don't need to be part of a church, who are they going to evangelize somebody into? Let's just say they're a great evangelist. They're out there, but they don't have a church family, and they talk to somebody about Jesus, and that person becomes a Christian. Now they're an infant Christian. Now what? How are they going to grow? Are there any pastors, elders, teachers, evangelists? Are there anybody there to help them mature? Is there anything for them to assemble into? Or do we just give them, say, hey, read John, the book of John, good luck. And then we wonder why they have no maturity and why the church isn't expanding, why we're losing ground culturally. Now, the church is where we, we expand in numbers. In verse 16, it says that as everybody gathers, the whole body becomes healthy, it grows, right? This is what we do. We are built up evangelism is part of the church you can't have church growth if you don't have a church which makes sense because why would you can't be assembled to something that's not an assembly you can't gather to something that's not gathering you, you can't be put together if there's nothing to be put into but this is where that happens which is why the church is essential if you want to grow in christ right and you want to see god's kingdom grow then this is how he designed it to work christ himself set this up it's his idea and he's got better ideas than we do typically right evangelism transformation of culture happens in the church as we are part of the church see we are each part of something much bigger than ourselves that's so why Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and, and he says, now you guys, go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them how to obey all things. In what context? Well, where did they go first? They went to synagogues. This is how they began. They started with gathering. And as the Holy Spirit led, then they also met on Sundays, and they started to be assembled to be able to have their gifts and abilities as God gave them pastors and teachers and evangelists to be able to, to work together, coordinated their efforts to be able to reach the community with acts of love and goodness. That's where it happens. If we're going to saturate the Estes Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not going to do that by just saying, well, we're disbanding all the churches. Good luck, Christians, go. You're not going to have any pastors. 
You're going to have everybody going through to help serve you. You're not going to have any elders to, to help care or anything like that. No direction, no order. It's going to be completely disorganized religion. Go do it! It's not going to happen because it hasn't happened. Seven out of ten Christians in our valley are that way. And have we saturated it yet? No. If we're going to saturate the valley of, of Estes Park with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to happen as the church. This is where it happens. This is where growth begins. This is where you have a friend and you say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I have a church that's going to love you, and I've got a pastor and there's teachers at the church or things like this, we're going to help you, and you have needs. It's, I can't meet all your needs, but guess what? There is a church of, that loves, that's able to support and to care about. You're not on your own in this. We have the capacity to do so much more together than we could separately. The church is where we grow in numbers, and we are reaching this valley. We are saturating this valley with the gospel. It is happening, Right? And as that happens, we're seeing more people come to faith. There are more people coming into this because there's a purpose for their lives. There is good news. There's not just salvation for their souls. There's a redemption for their life today and a purpose for their living from this point on. That is beautiful and wonderful and compelling. And where do they find that? Here. So let's invite them here and see more Christians grow in our valleys. We talked about last week, a spoonful of salt does not preserve a pound of dead meat. You need more salt. We need no believers to be able to make a difference to help our community and preserve it. That happens at church. But it's not just about growth. It's that church is where we grow in relationships. Did you see that? It said that, that as we meet together, right, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. Yeah, as a church, we are, the Christian Church of Essence Park, we are a fellowship. That's what it says. Our, our own um, Statement of, of why we exist. We are a fellowship of believers. Fellowship. That's, that's relationship. We're not an organization. I'm not a CEO. I'm a pastor. I, I'm your shepherd. I care for you. I'm, I love you. And we love each other. This is not just a group of people we sit next to once a week kind of awkwardly singing songs and then listen to a lecture and go with a TED Talk, right? We are so much more than that. This is a place where we find other people that we get to, we enter life into with the, the highlights and the dark parts of life. We go through these things together that we grow in love. We're a fellowship of believers with a great commitment to the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, but also the great commandments. And the great commandments to love God with everything we are and love other people at least as much as we love ourselves. I think you'll find that love is at the core of everything that we do because that's the core of everything the church does. As God assembles us, he assembles us in terms of love, relationship, kindness. Love is an amazing, powerful thing. It's not soft and frou-frou like I thought for so long when I was younger, that the love of God is ferocious and, and powerful. It's not just having warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is actually so much stronger. It's doing for another, caring for another more than I care for myself. Like actually serving them. I can say I, I love you, but if I treat you like trash, if I'm being selfish, that's, but love is the opposite of selfishness. That's why it's so powerful. It's the antidote to the poison of Eden that made us selfish from the very get-go. And how do we learn how to love? Here. It says that we meet together, we mature in that love until we become like Jesus. And Jesus, I think, showed us how to love more than anybody else. And if we're going to love God, as Scripture says, how can we say we love him if we don't love the people that he also loves and the people in this world that we can't see? 
The church is an opportunity. It is a great experiment. How to love the people that we naturally like and how do we love the people that we naturally don't like? Because the church will get an opportunity to do both. And we grow in that. And you have an experience to do that. And we have a reason to do that. The reason we love each other is not because I like you. It's not because I like, you know, your politics. It's not because I like how you do things. It's not because I like, you know, you know how you look. I love the people in the church because God loves you. And he loves me. Which is a better motivation. Here's where we grow in real relationships. This is not a light club. I mean, the church, we go through difficult things together. Hard things. And we do it because we have this bond of love, which is so much better than any club could ever give you. The church is a unique body. And how do we have that? Well, we're assembled. God puts us together as his body. And as we do that, each of those parts affects the others. So when one part hurts, they all hurt, right? And when one part feels, you know, is, is blessed, then all of them are blessed, right? So think about it. If you ever went, I hate massages, but people who like them, They'll go get, they'll get their ma- back massage, but it makes all of them happy, even their face. They smile, <laughs> right? Now, I have experience with this. Is like I- if you have one part of your body that just hurts, it doesn't matter. Like the rest of your body could be perfectly fine, but that part just drives you nuts, right? So, for example, I got, what did my doctor call it? He called it tennis elbow, which I think is ridiculous because I do football coaching. It should be football elbow. But I was lifting, and my body said, Aaron, you're not 18 anymore, and, and I don't know why. So my elbow hurts. Well, now I can't lift like normal. I got to let it rest. And all of the rest of my body has to make sacrifice for like a month and a half, right? Well, so this part can rest. But guess what? I'm willing to make the sacrifice, all the rest, because this is important. It's the same thing here. There are times that you're going to be going through hardships, and there will be people in this body who sacrifice for you and care for you and are patient with you for your good. Now, if you're on your own, that doesn't happen. And that's one of the reasons then we become so lonely and isolated, and God has something better for us. One of the last things we find is that, oh, in there is that, which is where we grow in purpose. You see that it says there that all of this happens, that, that we have this maturity, right, that we gain, that we, we see um, this church growth which we can experience, which I think is, is wonderful, that we have these relationships which draw us in and, and give us meaning in life and encouragement and, and all of that. But it all happens, it says, as each part does its work. Now, you are a part of the body of Christ. God made you. That's why it's not just a gathering. It's an assembly. Like I bought my son a, a Lego kit for Christmas a couple years ago, and... Um, we gathered all the pieces because we opened up the little plastic packages and put all the pieces out there. And then what did we do? We put them together. We followed the instructions and everything. It was the first time ever with the Legos thing for us because normally we just build what we want. But this time we're like, let's go with the master's plan. And we put it together and it was, it was amazing. And we assembled it. Every piece mattered. And we found that out when we were in like step 187. And like step six, there was one Lego that was missing. And we couldn't go on even further because there was little place that we were supposed to put other stuff, it wasn't there anymore. We set it in the wrong spot. So we had to take the whole darn thing apart, put it back together the right part. Why? Every piece, even the tiniest little one, is essential. All of us matter in the body of Christ. Every single, there's no one that's more important than another, right? I get to be more public 
but I, my job is no more important or less important than those to help with the video or help with our children or help serving their neighbors or maybe their elderly parents or their grandkids. All of us have a part to play. God has designed you for work, but you need to do your work. If you're not doing your work, if you're not showing up, if you're not even gathering, you can't even be assembled. And the whole body then hurts. But here's the thing, is that God designed you, crafted you perfectly to do something. And it's not alone. You are designed to be part of something bigger than yourself, which means that you can't fulfill your purposes if you are alone. Just like that little Lego by itself was kind of a worthless little thing. Best it could do is cripple one of us in the middle of the night if it fell on the floor. That's the best it could do on its own. But together, it held the whole rest of the project. This is where you find a purpose greater than yourself. This is where it is. Think about your body parts. Not one of your body parts will do well if it's separated. If I plucked my eyeball out, as great as my eyes are, if I plucked it out and just put it aside, kind of worthless. It's not helping itself, not helping the rest of the body. Every part of your body was designed to work together with the rest of your body. But as it works together, as it's connected, the whole body is healthy. It grows. It's filled with love. That's why, church, your purposes are here. The greatest things that you could ever do in this world are greater than you because they were designed to be done in something as part of something greater than you. That is the body of Christ where he gets the glory, right? Where he has crafted you for. And as long as you are missing, you're not even assembling, right? You're not even gathering. You are missing out, but the whole body is also missing out. And I would say a lot of the reasons people don't come to church, it's not loving. Well, it's not loving. People aren't showing up. They're not connecting. They're not growing and they're not maturing. Why? Well, I think a lot of it, if we look at our culture, it's because we have escaped from church. We said it's just something I'm supposed to gather in at best. I'm going to show up on Sunday and that's the best I'm supposed to do. No, 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 no. You are more than that. We need to come to church, to gather as the church, to be assembled as part of the church. And God gave you pastors and teachers and evangelists to help you so that you could connect in just the right way to do the great things that God has called for you to do so that together we can do these amazing works so that we can be healthy and growing and filled with love. I'm going to show you an example of that. Do you see that ugly, ugly wall? Ugly. Do you know that's where we wanted our youth to meet? No. Will not happen. Cannot tolerate that. Our youth are valuable. So my life groups, because our life group, all of our life groups should be doing service projects. Our life group said, we can do this. We're going to paint. And so we did. And I want you to see, we were painting. There's a picture of a good working painting. Look what happened at the end. Look how beautiful and black that wall is. I don't know why youth want a black wall, but they're going to have a nice, beautiful, it's a beautiful, pristine black wall right on the other side of that one. You know, youth in a group, we were able to come together and serve. And I hate painting, but I enjoyed this. Why? It's part of the body. It, it, from little things to bigger things. How about that deck project that we, we went to? A widow on our church being able to come together and serve and to take care of this and to help a family. What an awesome thing. And there was folks that, that work uh, at construction for a living and they loved it. There are people who don't do anything close to construction for a living who are part of it and helped out and, and it was fantastic. And I think they got more out of it than the Jaros family did. Why? That's how it works. But when we do, like, can you imagine just one person trying to put that together on their own? 
miserable. How would they afford it? How would they be able to put all the things together? How, it would have been an awful project, but together, it was fast and easy and fun and rewarding. This is what the body of Christ does. So we have a lot of opportunities in the church to serve. Some in projects like this, a lot of them you'll see on the tables by the donuts there, there's little cards of different ways that you can serve in the church, just descriptions, there's tons of ways to serve. But the thing is this, that as a church, we need to gather, which means you have to be here. I really encourage you, not just for you, but for the health of the whole body, for the health of us saturating the valley, for us doing what God called us to do. You were designed for this. You need to be here, but you also need to assemble. You need to serve in the areas that God has prepared for you. And part of that, to know that you have pastors and elders and teachers, that our job is to help you grow in that, to support you. That's why it says in Ephesians, or uh, sorry, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, so and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This was given to the Ephesian, or the, actually the Hebrews church. Uh, they're Christians in Rome, most likely, that were Jewish. That the, there was a lot of persecution happening. That Christians were being executed and murdered by the Roman government. And it, the, how they would do is they would find where the Christians were at. And then they would torture those Christians to find other Christians so they could do this. Like gathering together was really risky. If you were a Jewish Christian, it was even worse because your Jewish community felt betrayed by you because you accepted Jesus as your Messiah. And, and so you lost the support of that community entirely, but then you also had people in that community who had a motivation to tell on you so that you would be found out and tortured and murdered for your faith. And even in that, the book of Hebrews is written to say, hey, it's worth it, and this is why I don't give up on your faith. Don't just go back, right? Jesus is worth it. Even with that, as being, that's, a, that's a strong motivation not to come to church. I might be tortured and then murdered and have my family tortured and murdered if I show up to church. Even there it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. If that's the value that Christ places on the church, that's how important it is that we gather and assemble, then I would say that a lot of our reasons not to gather and assemble are going to seem pretty thin before the throne. You're going to have these Hebrews that were there like, well, if I gathered, and I, I uh, you know, was burned alive, and it was pretty awful, but we did this. How come you didn't go to church? Oh, I wanted to go to a Rockies game. That's going to be a hard one to, to that's going to be a difficult conversation, and you're going to be there forever, so you're going to have that conversation at some point. So don't have that conversation. If it's that important to God, it should be that important to us. Gather and assemble. Worship God at church. Escape the escapism, what the devil has taught us. This is why we're losing the battle right now. We've won the war, but let's stop losing the battle gather and assemble worship god by worshiping him as the church be here as we do that i think you'll find that we'll have the ability to worship him better with our time right so we we don't escape we're living with purpose we'll be better suited to worship him as in our family You're, this is how we get support and encouragement to how to actually have a true biblical family which actually works not like our culture how about how to worship him with our friends this is how we learn healthy relationships and our purpose and how we have grace and purpose and meaning how about this is where we find how to worship him best at work right this is we have that motivation and encouragement on our community this is how we serve him together as the body of christ it all stems from here why we're stopping with this so worship him here at church how do you apply that well here's a good thing to start with meditate on ephesians 5 15 be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil if you haven't memorized that yet do it there's that card there meditate on it. this is your last week you're going to get this but part of that living wisely if you want to mature you want to grow up you want to connect you want to be part of a loving 
It happens at church. How about this? Why don't you read Revelation chapters 1 through 3? This is how Jesus talks about seven different churches in the book of Revelation, um, how he addresses the church, the assembly. There are some good things in there, and there are some things I think we're cautioned to avoid. I think you'll find that this is, uh, helps us to live a purposeful life. Great passage there. Also, if you're not serving yet, I'm going to encourage you for your benefit and for ours to start serving in the church. Say yes to ministry. There are uh, some description sheets and cards on the other side of that wall there. There's a table there. There's different opportunities to begin serving. Let us know. You can fill out one of those cards, drop in the basket. We'll help you get connected and start serving in the church. And here's some areas that we really could use help. Like our children's ministry is going gangbusters. It's amazing the young families that God is bringing into the church. It is awesome. So much so that we're running out of room in our nursery because we have so many kiddos coming. In fact, we're going to have a baby dedication next service right here for some more families that are joining the church, which is awesome. But like we talked about, immature people like babies, they, they're messy and they're noisy <laughs> and, and they need a lot of more supervision and help. And we could use some more nursery workers. Uh, just If you can just hold a baby once a month for an hour, that would be fantastic. Uh, that, that's a huge need. Or to help with our praise plays, which is also growing gangbusters. Our children's ministry is growing and to have more uh, teachers' assistance and ha- aids and help cleaning up and setting up, that would be a huge area to serve. Also, it's going to snow this next week. I hope not, but it probably will. If it does, and if you could help us with our building ground stuff, helping make sure that our walks are shoveled and salted so people don't fall down when they come to church and make the possible, well, that would be a great way of serving. So there's some opportunities. Say yes to serving. Uh, there's a lot of ways. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. Also, attend our next series, Gather so you can be assembled. And we're going to talk there how to grow in Christ, how to, the spiritual disciplines, how do we practice those and, and make them part of our lives so that we can grow and mature together. Uh, make that commitment. Why would you not? Of course, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your first commitment needs to be this. You have to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Christian Church of Estes Park is a fellowship of believers. If you want to be part of this, you want to have the encouragement, all the benefits of church, you need to be part of the church. And how do you become part of the church? You are saved by God's grace through your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you need to make that step of giving your life to Christ, being born again, being saved, that's what I want you to do. You can mark that on your connection card, but also I'm going to walk right out those, I'll stand right in the foyer, come see me after the service, right? We'll we'll talk, I'll help you take those steps, and uh, you can begin this life in living with great purpose. Uh, So don't leave today without that. If you've got a prayer request, write on your connection card and and let me know what other commitments are. In a second, I'm going to have you drop those in the offering basket along with your tithes and gifts. Let me pray for you as you make these commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, and kindness. Father, thank you that you uh, care for all of our needs. Lord, we pray that you take these commitments that we make today. Uh, build us uh, as a faithful body through those. Help us to be uh, living purposefully as members of your church. And we pray for those who are missing, who have just uh, lost, the, forgot the reasons of why you've given us church, that you would draw them back, that the whole body could be healthy and growing and filled with love. To that means, the Father, our, our, all the things that we do, including our gifts and our, and our tithes, that you would use all of this to build this body for your glory uh, so that... Uh, here and, and, uh, and throughout this entire valley. We pray all of that in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.